Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What was the reasoning behind not verifying Julian Assange? I don't think there was one. Okay, can we do, let's take a little sidebar here. Yeah. Can you tell me what's wrong with Julian Assange? United States officials claim the US made plans to abduct and kill Julian Assange. When people persecute Assange or deny him or incarcerate him or threaten to kill him, is it because Assange was a threat to you, a menace to you, or was he a threat to their interests? G'day ladies and gentlemen, this video is about freedom. Freedom of speech is something that I've spoken about on this channel since its inception. And now more than ever, it is more important to protect it at all costs. The freedom of speech, the freedom of opinion, and the freedom to disagree is something that has been taken from us on a daily basis. This freedom is essential for me, for you, for publishers, for new media, old media, we all rely on this freedom to operate. More importantly, this is a freedom that we need to protect for our children and our future. Julian Assange and WikiLeaks have exposed truths and horrors that governments around the world would rather keep quiet. These governments are embarrassed and they are seeking to have WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, locked away forever because he has exposed embarrassing truths that they wish no one knew about. We know that the media are full of shit. They lie to us on a nightly basis. It is reprehensible what they have done throughout time, and yet no one calls them on their bullshit. We all grew up trusting them wholeheartedly, never questioning what they said to us. As we get older, we realize that a lot of this is bullshit. We have a chance right now to correct all that bullshit designed to protect and secure power for governments and large corporations around the world. It's a global challenge that we must meet now or perhaps our future may be a place we don't want to be a part of. The freedom we think is enshrined in our legal frameworks, the freedom to access true information from the present and the past that guides our path towards a society, freedom to hold elected governments and institutions to account, freedom to access true information. Now more than ever, this freedom has been compromised by those in control, abated and abetted by technology, the intellectual freedoms we mistakenly believe exist. Only do so if the governments and the powers that be allow us to. In my country of Australia, there has never been a time where we have been more controlled by big government. This isn't an attack on all government, like government is a central part of our lives and I get that, I understand that. But there has never been a time in at least my lifetime where people have been so fearful of the powers of the police. This isn't attacking police either, this is attacking the idea that our lives are to be controlled. That we aren't allowed to move freely throughout our world. 
We aren't allowed to think different ways or challenge opinions. Everything is control. The power by the people that are in power is so great right now that it is almost akin to a dystopian novel. George Orwell would look at this and go, shit. And it's not just the government, it's the nightly news that drives fear into all of our hearts. If you ever watch that shit, you will be terrified. No wonder half the population is. And if you dare to question the mainstream narrative, even say the word mainstream narrative, you're shouted down, you're silenced, and you are cancelled as some crazy person. We all seek truth, whatever that may be. However bitter that may be to swallow, it is an essential part of human function. We need it. We need it to correct the excesses of our past and create a beautiful future for our kids. So shrouded in secrecy that modern fair societies have had to create the whistleblower. Good men and women who see something so egregious within their government organization that they have to tell the public, regardless of what may happen to them. Throughout history, we have relied upon whistleblowers to direct us to the secrets that are hidden from us by the powers that be, because we are deemed not high enough of a security clearance to know the real truth. In the early 1970s, as the US and Australia invaded Vietnam, Daniel Ellsberg released the Pentagon Papers, highlighting massacres, illegal tactics, and corruption of our governments and generals. Edward Snowden, a senior intelligence analyst for the NSA, could take no more and put his life on the line to inform the world that we were and continue to be secretly spied upon by our governments through technology, iPhones, everything is being recorded. That was a conspiracy theory until he came out and proved it to be fact. Before him, there was Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning. She couldn't look at herself in the mirror knowing that the country that she grew to love and admire was involved in dirty tactics in Iraq. The invasion was all based on false and contrived intel. It was based on power and draining money at a rate never seen in the history of mankind. None of those fights really made sense. I mean, from all that I know about that war, Osama bin Laden was hiding in fucking Pakistan and the weapons of mass destruction didn't exist, but they made a shit ton of money. And if you don't think that war's about money, then you are thicker than I can possibly imagine. Closer to home, YouTuber Friendly Geordies, a friend of mine, has recently been sued by the former Deputy Premier of New South Wales for making jokes and accusing corruption upon him. An employee of Friendly Geordies was arrested aggressively by an anti-terrorism unit there's been so many other people that have been silenced, had their platforms taken away because of the truth. And the fact of the matter remains that yes, this video is about Julian Assange, but it's about so much more. Just because your particular government is in right now, or you think that just because I'm a part of the right or I'm a part of the left, that we're gonna be protected by this pol You don't know who will be in control in 20, 30, 40 years time. And as that is why the precedents that are set right now are so fucking important. There is a growing population, and this is a great thing, that are so sick and tired of old shit legacy media. They know they are full of shit. They know they are bought. They know they lie. We as citizens of the world deserve the truth. We do. As terrifying as the truth may be, we deserve it. The truth will set us free. How else do we improve upon our society if we don't know all the facts? The truth is scary. 
but what's worse is believing so much in a lie that you live your entire life around it. In this video, we look at a man that many people have called a hero, a freedom fighter, a truth seeker, an investigative journalist, a fearless publisher, and an advocate for peace and justice. But people have also labeled him as a Russian asset, as a traitor, irresponsible and selfish, and even a spy. Former United States officials claim the US made plans to abduct and kill Julian Assange. A Yahoo News investigation found the CIA created a plan in 2017 to kidnap the WikiLeaks founder, an Australian citizen, while he was holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. This was a man who said, and you probably never heard him say this, he wanted to run for the Australian Parliament because he wanted to shine a light on the Australian Parliament and watch the cockroaches scurry. Regardless of your personal feelings about Julian Assange and his story, I look to get to the bottom of it through someone who knows him better than most. To assess where he came from and where he is right now. And right now, he is at the ends of the earth. In a day's time, he will face his future, meet his maker, if you will. And that's why I thought it was such an important time to release this video. Because I am very interested to know what the future holds for Julian Assange the founder of WikiLeaks. A young Australian man locked up for exposing embarrassing truths. I wanna know more. I wanna know what it's like being wanted by the US government. I wanna know what it's like being locked inside a building for 10 years, the best part of a decade. I wanna know what it's like to have so much lies about you in the media. I want to know all about this person. It's no exaggeration to say that the treatment and persecution of Julian Assange is the way dictatorships treat a political prisoner. There is one reason for this. Julian and WikiLeaks have performed an historic public service by giving millions of people facts on why and how their governments deceive them secretly and often illegally. So I reached out to his father, and that is the man that we're going to talk to tonight. But first, let's work out who exactly Julian Assange is. Julian Assange was born in Townsville in 1971. This young man travelled with his mum in a theatrical troupe that saw him attend over 30 schools in his young years, always struggling to fit in, being the new kid, a constant life of change and discovery. At the age of 13, he found an exhilaration in computers. And this is where basically Julian Assange's life would turn by the age of 17, he was a hacker, finding holes in some of the biggest government organizations in the world. He also found out that uh, local and international police don't really appreciate you breaking into their systems, but uh, we'll get to that. He may even have been involved in hacking into NASA with the infamous Wankworm, an acronym for Worms Against Nuclear Killers. He was charged with 31 counts of hacking and related crime. In the same year, he was studying physics, programming and mathematics at Central Queensland University. And preceding both the charges and the studying, he used his talents for hacking in 1993 to assist the Victorian police to prosecute criminals for distributing child abuse material. And that should give you an idea of the type of dude this guy is. 
He's been involved in a multitude of programming breakthroughs when it comes to computers, and I'm not going to fuck around and pretend I understand any of them, but good on you, mate. This self-described extremely stubborn individual in 2006 founded the extremely famous WikiLeaks. The editor-in-chief made WikiLeaks a household name in April 2010, releasing a top-secret video titled Collateral Murder, showing US troops killing a dozen civilians from a helicopter hovering over Iraq. This lengthy legal battle began with a video that shocked the world. Classified footage of US Apache attack helicopters killing Iraqi civilians and journalists released by Assange. It will shape an understanding of what the past six years of war has been like. Two of the civilians were journalists, carrying long-lens cameras mistaken for AK-47s. This was followed in July with the Iraq war logs. Hundreds of thousands of secret files, memos and diplomatic cables, which WikiLeaks hoped would shed more light on the truth and the lies of the war. Many people argued that some information in this leak endangered military personnel's lives. And that is an interesting argument. And that's something I look to ask his father about because that is a real threat to the lives of military personnel. If you are going to expose things that, yes, may be in the public's best interest, we need to make sure that you are being careful enough to not affect the lives of the people in the army. They're not the evil ones here. They're the ones just doing their job. They're the ones that are just doing what they are told. Maybe they don't have another choice in Korea. Maybe this is the only thing they could do. You can't blame them and you shouldn't put them in the firing line any more than they already are. Then the Afghanistan war logs, the Guantanamo Bay files, and countless US diplomatic cables now known as Cablegate. They came with the assistance of Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning. One of the worst things, in my opinion, that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks did for their public image was release the DNC emails in 2016. This put him in the eyes of many left-wing people as a trumper. And this hurt him. People saw him as some sort of evil entity because of this. But once again, he was just exposing the truth. During the height of his notoriety, Assange visited Sweden. There he met two women who he had sex with. Following these encounters with these young women, there were rape allegations. Now, these allegations have been defeated, but they still follow Julian around everywhere he goes. The rape allegations themselves were first seen as, well, rape, a horrible thing that happened. Then there were arguments that actually what happened was the young ladies went to the police in Sweden to get in contact with Julian to get an STD test, and it wasn't it was consensual sex and then the condom broke and the girls blamed. It was a whole thing and something I want to ask uh, John, Julian's father, about as well. But for the media to come out and report that it was a rape case was certainly disingenuous. Julian fled Sweden. Why? He believed that it was a ruse by the US government to extradite him out of Sweden and back to America to face the court systems over there. A pretty full-on thing to take an Australian national out of Sweden back to America. But anyway, I digress. He found himself in front of a British court to face the music over the Sweden ordeal. It was then when he made his way to the Ecuadorian embassy where he was seeking asylum. The dead man can't leak stuff. This guy's a traitor. He fears that whatever happens to them... He should be treated as an enemy combatant. ...will happen to him too. Shut it down. 
shut it down. And to others who receive and publish sensitive material. Well, I think Assange should be assassinated, actually. Illegally shoot the son of a And this is where the story continues with Julian's father, John Shipton. Julian's time in the Ecuadorian embassy is obviously a very famous part of this story. But recently it came to light that there was more things going on than you would believe. The CIA even had plans to somehow get a hold of him in the embassy or somewhere in Britain and murder him, assassinate him. Did the CIA plot and plan to kill Julian Assange? Well, some reports suggest that that's exactly what they did. Why too is there no political party or journalistic output or news source that will openly support Julian Assange? What does that tell us about him, his revelations and the state of journalism and indeed the state of the state? They were allowed to do this, why? Because he was considered a spy. And that brings up another question. Is he a spy? So for everything that I've just covered, the future and a whole lot more when it comes to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks and investigative journalism, the truth and the media, I turn to Julian's father, John Shipton, on the eve of a massive day in the case, the appeal for the US government to have Julian Assange removed from Britain in a prison cell that he has been in for two years now and have him taken to America, an Australian citizen taken to America, ScoMo, where the fuck are you on this, um, and be tried in the United States. John, thank you very much for joining us. John, thank you very much for joining me today, mate. I know it's a very busy time for you, and I just wanted to um, keep this nice and, and, and short as possibly, or as short as we possibly can. I wanted to start off this uh, this interview by asking a very simple question, or it may not be a simple question. Who is Julian Assange to you? Well, to me, uh, you know, Julian is my son. Um, to everybody else, uh, he's uh, you know, the uh, originator and edi editor of WikiLeaks. What, is, what, does he, what does he mean, though? I mean, I guess that question... Um, somewhat goes beyond the question of who is he uh, to you as a son, but what does, he, what does he mean to you? What does the idea of Julian Assange mean to you, past him oh, being your son, oh. of course? Well, well, it's very difficult to separate the two, of course. Um, the children and their identity uh, to you come first, not their public manifestation. Um, but his public manifestation is... Uh, that uh, he's an extraordinarily clever man who uh, magically came up with the idea that you could uh, have anonymity on the net for leaks and consequently put them up on a website wherein everybody could come along and read the original documents and make their own conclusions as to what governments or corporations are doing or not doing. And as a consequence of that, act in your own best interests and the best interests of your family and community. This uh, is an extraordinary gift. A great example is the cables. Anybody who has access to a computer, and there are many, can read the cables and have an understanding of foreign policy of the United States 
and its allies or vassals as a professional in the State Department or the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. So that with that information, you're able to act uh, and convert the information into knowledge and act in your own best interests. Prometheus Unbound is uh, what I call it. So Prometheus Unbound is a poem by Shelley wherein he illuminates that the only way to freedom is through knowledge. And so that, uh, in sum, is what uh, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks have provided to the public since 2006. He has been now in Belmarsh Supermax for some 130-odd weeks. Um, I guess I need, I, everyone wants to know, how is he doing? Have you seen him? How is he um, coping with everything that's leading up to um, this Friday in Australia, this Thursday, I believe, in, uh, in the UK? He's f fully engaged at the moment, so that's uplifting. But uh, normally he... Uh, after, you know, <laughs> 12 yeah. and a half years, um, it, it, and no end in sight. For, for example, if it follows the normal course uh, and the de decision to extradite is reinforced, sorry, the decision to not extradite is reversed, what will happen is that Julian will go to the Supreme Court, which will take another year, then on to the European Court of Human Rights, which will take another 18 months. Then if the United States offers guarantees to his treatment in the United States, this European Court of Human Rights will have to accept those. Okay. And so Julian will be extradited to the United States and then go through a series of appeals to the Supreme Court. It takes about 10 years to get a hearing in the Supreme Court. So all in all, if the extradition is proceeded with, Julian would have spent 27 years in jail fighting for his freedom, a total of 27 years, 12 years now. And if they continue uh, with the extradition, it'll total 27 years. He'll be 65. He'll have fought uh, from the age of 39 to 65 to keep out of prison. I guess a lot of people would say that the fight for freedom and the freedom of information and the truth is something that's worth giving your life for. Is that something that he would question at this point, do you think? Or he was still in that mindset of this is what I am here to do or what I what I need to do, this is my purpose in, in this life? Well, you know, regrets. Um, when you're sitting in a cell in Belmarsh, don't help. Hmm. The regrets don't open locks. So, you know, sort of canvassing your regrets is sort of pointless. So uh, I imagine like I don't canvas my regrets. So I imagine Julian doesn't canvas his. He just uh, looks at what's in front of him and does his absolute best with the information and the lawyers involved. 
Similarly, you, know, you and I, we see what's in front of us, take what we can from the information flow towards us and fight for, well, what you do, and I fight for Julian's freedom. We don't use the tools of hope or optimism. In fact, I have an aphorism which I say to myself that optimism is cowardice because uh, you place the optimism uh, before yourself and think, well, you know, things might turn out all right. Well, they only turn out all right if we apply ourselves with, of course, a little bit of good fortune and in Julian's case, help from many thousands of people around the world. And that must be captivating to you and to Julian's legal team and perhaps himself when you see thousands upon thousands of people and the thousands of people that will see this, they are right behind him. Does he receive those messages of, uh, of encouragement, particularly during these years with that he's been in Belmarsh rather than when he was in the um, Ecuadorian embassy? You know, he could hear people outside. He could see this being locked up in a cage now. How is he traveling with the, without the encouragement from people walking past or, or hearing things on the TV, the news? Well, well we, we all go, <laughs> uh, Isaac, we all go out to Belmarsh and bellow our lungs out outside the prison and he can hear it inside. Can he? Yeah, he can hear us inside. And this is very heartening, as you can imagine. Also, it, uh, it sort of protects him in a way from uh, excesses from the prison administration and uh, uh, also... Uh, the other prisoners are uplifted to an extent and that makes uh, Julian's stay there more pleasant, you know. Uh, well, uh, I don't mean more pleasant, but bearable, mm. bearable. Uh, yeah. Also, a lot of, there's a, a website called writejulian.com and a lot of people utilise that and send postcards and letters. So, uh, People who have been in jail for a long time, uh, Kieran O'Reilly is one example, um, they tell me that assistance and, well, notice from outside the jail is the fundamental thing because the whole of the jail's administration and structure is to cut you off from normal human discourse and, that, and to force you into the routines of the jail. So outside communication is just wonderful. Really, I can't, un I can't understate how wonderful it is to get a postcard from somebody in Australia saying, oh, I hope you're well, mate, you know, looking out for you. You know, it's really uplifting. It's like manna from heaven. Wow. So I'll, I will put that uh, that link in the description below if you want to send uh, Julian um, some encouragement, something to get behind him during these times. I would like to, uh, to know, John, if you could perhaps explain to, because we have a lot of people who are just really finding themselves out of their depth when it comes to this case. There's appeals going on and there's extradition and there's other charges and all these type of things. I wonder if you could in the most, perhaps explain it to a layman. 
What has happened to this point? What got Julian into the Ecuadorian embassy looking for uh, basic, basically safety? What got him to the point of being taken to Belmarsh? Why is there an appeal from the US government uh, coming up this week? Okay. Well, <clears throat> Julian published the leaks we call the Iraq War Files, the, uh, the leaks called Afghanistan War Logs, and the cables, 293,000 cables, and the Guantanamo files, and the Guantanamo uh, um, rules of uh, enclosure. So he, he published all of those things. Equally, so did uh, the New York Times, and so did the Der Spiegel, and so did the Guardian. But for some reason or other, the uh, uh, Department of Justice decided to pursue Julian Assange. They have done so since 2010. Uh, there was some falsification of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, sexual misconduct in Sweden, which had four prosecutors, nine years, and still couldn't bring a charge against Julian, nor even interview him. In the end, Julian's lawyers took the Swedish prosecutor to court in order that she fulfil her duty and interview Julian. After nine years, they, they abandoned the case. Now, revelations from FOIs, from Stefania Maurizia, a journalist, re received from the Crown Prosecuting Service and the Swedish Prosecuting Authority, demonstrate document that the Swedish Prosecuting Authority and the Crown Prosecuting Service of the United States, of the United Kingdom, conspired to keep Julian in the embassy for refusing to fulfil their duty and interview Julian and place charges against Julian. There were no charges, they're just allegations. They never made charges. They conspired with each other over a period of nine years to do so. Destroyed emails, documented proof. So the pursuit of Julian continued to uh, into uh, after Julian. Uh, there's another contravention of laws involved in this. Julian was an asylee under the conventions of asylum ratified under Australian authorship in the uh, 1973 United Nations General Assembly. The conventions of asylum were adopted by all the nations and adopted by the United Kingdom. Julian had asylum in the embassy. That asylum was revoked without process and flaunted by seven uh, um, United Kingdom police officers coming into the embassy and dragging Julian out. That's another contravention. Similarly, the, uh, in preparation of the case, there have been three indictments uh, delivered to Julian. One uh, indictment that the, the, they began to lose the case in court. So they made a, an, another indictment, a second indictment, and then a, a superseding indictment. Interesting is the superseding indictment had the involvement of the FBI, 
getting suborning an Icelandic man named Thordarsson, bribing him to give evidence against Julian. That man is a convicted paedophile, a convicted fraudster, and now is back in jail. The FBI promised the Thordarsson immunity from prosecution, okay? So he's back in jail and he's revoked and rescinded his allegations against Julian. So why Julian's still in jail is very curious. When their principal witness, <laughs> as the case has entirely collapsed, also uh, a man named, uh, what's his name, T Yahoo journalists, three Yahoo journalists published uh, the revelations that the FBI had planned to murder Julian in the embassy, poison in the, in the embassy. If Julian got out of the embassy, they uh, proposed a gunfight in the street. And if Julian managed to get on an aeroplane, they were going to hover a helicopter over the top of him to prevent him, uh, you know, taking off. All these absurd and preposterous uh, fantasies of the CIA and the FBI and their uh, equivalent, the MI6 in, in the United Kingdom. So in on January 4th, the uh, Judge Barita said that Julian would not be extradited to the United States because that would cause him to suicide uh, as the circumstances would be uh, in a, what do they call it? Uh, a supermax prison under SAMS, which is special administrative measures, brought in place in order to prevent prisoners talking to each other. So there's isolation, complete isolation. So that the judge's decision was that Julian would be fundamentally disturbed and suicide. So not extradited to the United States. The United States appealed against that. And that appeal is being heard uh, on, on Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday. So that's in some a rough outline. When um, when you look at this entire section of, you know, over a decade, you seem to not be able to trust the word of the US government in this case and the media surrounding it. You see the almost the bluff over here with what's happening in Sweden and then it's a conspiracy theory that oh, Julian's worried about the US coming to get him. That's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. And then he finds asylum in the embassy and then there it comes out this whole story about the CIA and FBI threatening to kill him and not threatening to kill him, planning to kill him or at least coming up with the idea. And then they throw this idea that, okay, well, if we can extradite him, we'll let him serve his time in Australia. Can you trust that call at all? Well, you know, the facility to serve your time in Australia is, is not something that they especially advance for Julian Assange. Any prisoner can have that facility, okay? okay? The other thing is that you, nobody trusts the United States in its promises. They're called uh, they're called not uh, agreement capable by everybody. Mm. Uh, the next is that the in 
the uh, uh, it makes you want to swear that the very weak response of the Australian government from Julia Gillard onward, with the notable exception of Malcolm Turnbull and Julie Bishop, who involved themselves to a certain extent with, uh, with uh, the Secretary of State of the United Kingdom and Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State of the uh, United States, in, in order to uh, resolve Julian's dilemma or resolve Julian's case. With that exception, the, the Australian government has been worse than weak. I'll point out here that if they say nothing of the contraventions of due process, if the government says nothing of the contraventions of due process, which are all documented, every single one of them are documented by the United Nations Rapporteur on Torture, Professor Nils Melzer, Professor of Law at the University of Glasgow. All documented. If the government says nothing, it acquiesces. Agrees. If they continue to say nothing, they're complicit. This is clear as if they say nothing about the contraventions of due process and the conspiracy to murder Australian citizen Julian Assange, then they are complicit in allowing the uh, um, well, the slow motion murder of Julian Assange over 12 years. There's no other way to see it. I'm sorry to criticize my government so severely, but I cannot see it any other way. All the prime minister has to do is pick up the phone, ring Boris Johnson, prime minister of the UK and say, look, can you bring this matter to an end and send the fellow home? That's all he's got to do. He doesn't have the wherewithal. He doesn't have the wherewithal from his advisors to how to go about it. It's shocking. Have you had any contact with the current government? Is there any phone calls? Well, anyone? No, no, I don't. Uh, I don't speak with. Uh, I make it a, a policy not to speak with the government. You know, I speak okay. with uh, the Assange group, the twenty-eight uh, um, parliamentarians. Um, and I speak with uh, the consular services. Um, that mantra that the government keeps saying over and over again, consular services. Consular services is the optimum of failure. It's 12 years. I mean, when you shake your head, they recommend consular services. It's 12 years. They've done nothing. Nothing at all. I think you're very much within your rights to be shame, shame or throw shame at the government for their lack of. And I, my mind keeps going back to when you see someone being put to death in Thailand, and they happen to be an Australian citizen. You know, the government seems to move heaven and earth to try and get them home, and yet the most widely viewed case in Australian criminal history, perhaps, or at least cyber history, they aren't doing anything. It's it's for me looking into this case as you know, and obviously I know nothing about the case in comparison to the people involved. But just 
in the, the the small amounts of knowledge that I have, to know that Scott Morrison isn't doing a thing is infuriating. And I can imagine you're in the same boat. Well, you know, I never say that. I never personalise politics for the start. So I don't say his name or anybody's name, but I just say the government and its institutions and advisors. And it's clear to anybody from, you know, who peruses this case that they have become, in their acquiescence, complicit, to repeat myself, in their acquiescence, they are complicit in the slow-motion murder of Australian citizen Julian Assange. That much is clear. This is a case of global importance in the intimidation and oppression of a journalist and a publisher. Importantly, we have to measure this because you're in the business and we have to have a clear measure of this. There's, I imagine, well, I know of 80 active websites and Facebook pages that uh, support Julian. I know of about 10,000 people worldwide supporting Julian. I know, I estimate that the cost so far has been about $10 million, okay, from legal fees right up to expenditures, my expenditures and all the other expenditures that you see people doing. The cost in time that people offer, this, that they give their time and give their skills must be $20 million. What journalist, what publisher is going to take on the prospect of revealing information under those circumstances. Measure that. Riddle me that. Nobody. And that's an awful shame because, as we mentioned, without knowledge, you've got no freedom whatsoever. None. Forget about it. We wander around in the dark without knowledge of what our governments do and how they formulate their policy and what state-to-state arrangements they make. It is a very bleak outlook on a world where we can't have someone release information that is for the betterment of people because they are afraid of their government or a foreign government taking them and locking them in a cage. That's, well, that's scary. Yeah, I can add to this in the positive that those revelations that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks published that uh, Chelsea Manning provided, let's look at Iraq war, for example, the Iraq war files, that's 10 years ago. Over the, pre- over the 10 years, slowly, incrementally, the United States has removed itself from, from Iraq. The Iraq war is virtually over. Afghanistan. Over the period of 10 years, the United States has tried and failed and removed itself disgracefully from Afghanistan. This is because the revelations have worked their way through the populace 
and the populist us have removed our support for these wars and the government can't carry them on anymore. These are the great gifts to many people, saving thousands of lives, saving the lives of soldiers who come back disturbed and squandering the treasure of our nations on which would be better spent on providing free education at the university and tertiary level and housing for people. These are great gifts. Similarly, Guantanamo Bay, every day you see in the paper another aspect of moving towards the closure of Guantanamo Bay. Great gifts made by Chelsea Manning, WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. The cables have enabled us to get a feeling of what, how our governments go about making arrangements with the United States and the consequence. As a consequence, those arrangements have changed. And now we only have three nations that are in the <clears throat> center group of, uh, of, the United, of the United States empire. Only three is Australia, uh, the United Kingdom, and the United States. The rest of them have realized that you have to have distance between yourself and these uh, wars. It's only come about through publication, through imbibing of the knowledge, and we've removed our support and had a victory over the people who would destroy another country. I was wondering if we could change uh, tack for a moment. There are people, there are people who claim that uh, Julian did the wrong thing. He must face the music. He is selfish. He endangered people. Um, some claim he's a Russian asset. What uh, What would you say to people who make those sort of claims or, or believe that um, that narrative, perhaps? Well, dealing with one at a time, there's three there. So those that say here, uh, let's start from that. You see those people who administer the destruction of Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Yemen. They come on TV. They wade nostril deep through the blood and bodies of millions of refugees. People, refugees are people. And according to Gideon Polya, an academic in Melbourne, over six million dead in, in 20 years. These people who administer this slaughter and this destruction come on and stand in front of us and say, he endangered lives. It's grotesque. It's obscene. In fact, it's the opposite. Julian and his group made every single effort to ensure and in fact even contacted the State Department asking them for their list of what they would like to see redacted or, or covered and so on. 
they receive no reply. They don't care about people. It's clear they don't care about people. How many wedding parties have you seen droned? How many funeral cottages have you seen? How many millions of people wander the world looking for a home? How many people grieve the loss of a mother, a father, a child, a brother, a sister? These people don't care. All they care about is the extension of their power in the worst possible way. Not power for life, but power for death. Grotesque. Now, the next part of your question, face the music. What music? The man hasn't done anything. There's no allegations against him. The allegations in the, in the second indictment are concerning espionage. Julian is an Australian citizen, not a citizen of the United States. Those people got to shake their heads. Julian is alleged and charged with espionage of the United States. He's an Australian. Is that even legal? No. <laughs> they just do it. They don't care about law. You know, the great contribution to civil life made by the English-speaking peoples, the Magna Carta, put a shield between the people and the sovereign, as it was then, or the people and the state, as it is now. That shield, which protects us from the state and makes arrangements between the state and us, uh, the people, as sensible and under law, has been crushed under an avalanche of misdeeds malfeasances and misfeasances in the case of Julian Assange. I can nominate them one after the other. You know, the United Nations Working Group on Arbitrary Detention declared Julian was arbitrarily detained in 2017 and the review report in 2018, February, appealed against by the United Kingdom and rejected by the 17 law professors and judges that constitute the United Nations Working Group. It was derided. Derided. They, the United Nations Rapporteur on Torture <clears throat> covered all of the laws which the Swedish Prosecuting Authority and the Crown Prosecuting Service contravened deliberately in the persecution of Julian Assange, ignored. The two great facilities that they came, that the people of the world brought into being in 1945, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the United Nations, wherein states could have settled their their arrangements and disagreements under law. Both of them abandoned. The contraventions, sorry, the contraventions of uh, asylum 
ignored. The three great elements of civil life of the world brought into being after the Second World War by those nations, the United Kingdom, Sweden, and Australia, ignored by their authors, a collapse of law. That's the answer to your question. It's just, you know, it, how can I say, what rough beast it's our came round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. 20 years replete with barbarity. 20 years of it. it you, you know, it, what they call illegal wars, the invasion and destruction of Iraq. Contemplate it for a minute. The invasion and destruction of Afghanistan, the invasion and destruction of Syria, the partial destruction, sorry, the partial destruction of Syria, the invasion and complete destruction of Libya, the highest living standard on the African continent, now has a slave market. Contemplate that destruction and breaking of law, and then contemplate those the people who say, Julian Assange, this, that, or the other. They only say it because they want to destroy him and oppress and intimidate all other people who would bring to the public the means of proper decision-making, knowledge which leads to freedom of action. That's their intention. Wow. Um, I mean, for me, digesting that answer, to, to think about, and this is something we never do with asylum seekers or refugees, you never think about them as people. They're only people when they turn up in your country, perhaps. To think about the lives that have been lost, the lives that have been changed, the lives that have been ruined, these people who are making these decisions to ru ruin these lives and calling your son the evil one, it seems to me that they should be the ones in the position that he is in, being tried for real crimes. They are the ones that are not only ruining people's lives, but making absurd amounts of money, just money that no one listening to this will ever be able to comprehend. That is the real evil here, that they are making this money on the back of blood. These are the blood diamonds that people don't talk about, perhaps. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it works in... in so Gideon Pollard, he works, works it out on both sides of the ledger. What it cost to those nations that are destroyed in human life and community life, and what it costs to those nations that their leaders have led them into this, the billions and trillions of dollars that could be spent on schools and hospitals and housing for people. You know, there's a, I, I, 
I've read over 103,000 people <laughs> living rough in Australia. It's supposed to be a rich country. 15 to 17% of the population of of the population, uh, sorry, 15 to 17% of children living under the poverty line. And yet we spend billions destroying Afghanistan and destroy our young men in the process. They have to come home. In this, similarly in New Zealand, 30% of children under the poverty line. The money can be spent there. So there's these schemes to expand, well, to destroy, have two results. One is the impoverishment of the nation, the people within that nation, and the other is the, the mountains of blood and corpses and refugees and, you know, destroyed societies and, and laws broken, and you know, a world that's, that that goes into chaos as the United Nations is no longer seen fit to be a means of communicating the, the differences between states. I, when I think about war i think about the people that i've met who have been in war i'm sure you've known many the toll that is put on them for the profit of others and the profit amongst other things these lies that we were fed in iraq and afghanistan about osama bin laden hiding out there and weapons of mass destruction like i know maybe 10 people and i work with a charity called swiss eight that look after people who come back um, from the front lines and just cannot function. That is something that can't be measured uh, monetarily, but can be measured in the effect that it has on their children. And it was passed down through generations. You hear people who, whose father perhaps fought in the Second World War. You know, they never got to know their father. He was terrified of thunderstorms. He would hide. He maybe was abusive. This is just... It is a crazy concept to think that we human beings still fight and die for who knows what, a, 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 a cre something created out of thin air perhaps, like the weapons of mass destruction argument or the, the, the plan that, that was surrounding that. And yet so many people are willing to do that for, for nothing. And we will sit here and not talk about someone who was trying to shed light on the atrocities committed by people in those positions. And I don't think it's fair to blame the soldiers. You blame the people that put them in those positions and, and ruin their minds or break their, break their hearts and perhaps they become desensitized to death. I imagine they would. I imagine anyone would. But we sit here and we point our fingers at Julian Assange and say he is a bad person because he, he must be a Russian asset because he's talking uh, in a negative way about the American government and trying to bring it down. I just, the more and more I hear about people talking about Julian Assange, I just can't comprehend how people think that way. I think one of the great things though, and I don't know how aware you are of this, John, is the amount of people, particularly young people who care about this. And there's people... Uh, like podcasters, 
I'm thinking Joe Rogan, I'm thinking Russell Brand, who have videos talking about your son with millions of views. They have so much more coverage than the mainstream news on this subject. They genuinely care and they are engaged listeners. I think maybe my next question is, what message would you give to young people about why they should care about this case and why they should care about the precedent that it sets? Well, you know, the precedent that it sets shapes the future and that the shape of the future is what the youth will live in, live amongst. And it doesn't look very good if you can't get at what you need to know and you're misled by your government all the time. You know, uh, continuing on, I take, as you do, the responsibilities of masculinity very seriously and they're burdensome, they're not light. To be a man means that on occasion you might have to fight for your country and die. Also, to be a man means that if, if people endanger your family, you do your utmost until the end to ensure that that danger is removed. You give everything for that, family and your country. That's the responsibilities, the prime responsibilities of a man. Of course, I'm leaving out, you know, the relationship with the mum and so on, and, and putting all of that under the heading of family. So as youth come forward into the world, they must take up these duties, the duties of being a man. And it's up to you and I to give example in the best way we can. We may not be the greatest of men. We may not be great fighters. We may not be great orators. We may just go about the ordinary way of life and protect our family when we can and take our responsibilities, male responsibilities, very serious. It's not so easy to be a man. It's a real test. That's what I have to mention to, to youth. Now, on Discord, <laughs> we have a few channels in, in Discord, and the you know the number of people who are interested in in particularly in France and uh, youthful people or young people or whatever people who are coming into the world to take over the world and preparing themselves to run the world the, the support of Julian from that cohort is tremendous I wouldn't under underrate it any anyway in any any form rather. Yeah. That, that's that's what I really hope comes from from this show today, that we get a lot of, even if we can get another 100 people aware of this case and aware of what's happening and to give some of their time to understand it and 
just genuinely care about it. I think that's that's a great thing. And especially for young men, for the lesson of standing up for what you believe in. I know Julian was was quoted as stubbornness was his greatest strength and biggest weakness. I think that can be said for a lot of typically masculine people. They are stubborn and that can both benefit and and hurt you in many ways. Why do you think Julian said that? And do you think that's true? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. He's pretty determined sort of a chap. <laughs> but the, the determination, those uh, personal characteristics, you can modify with reason. So you don't go in hard over something very simple and silly. You just go in hard where, well, where it matters a lot. And the more insult that they put upon your family, the harder you go. Mm. You know, don't use any other tools than that. Um, and you use your discretion to uh, not go, not, you know, use the power of stubbornness over whether you're going to have another piece of toast or not. It's just silly. But uh, if you can be stubborn, when, when there's somebody, when there's a knock on the door uh, after midnight or you hear the window opening in the side room, then you use your stubbornness and go out and say, well, you know, you get out of bed and say, go down and say, look, see what's cooking. You know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I, I wondered... Um... When I was I was I went for a run this afternoon, and I, I love running because it's uh, it allows me to almost meditate and, and and think of things more clearly because I'm so full of hatred for what I'm doing in that moment that I'll take my mind anywhere else. And I thought about truth, and I, I thought about what we're talking about here, and I wondered your opinion on what's happening in places like Sydney and Melbourne and well across the globe really when it comes to the current medical uh, crisis if you will um, and what people are allowed to say now whether or not you know I agree with you you agree with me we agree with whoever it doesn't matter but the ability to express your opinion has been shot down in many ways if you look at facebook if you make a claim that isn't true it'll come up with a little uh, tag underneath that says uh, fact checkers have looked at this and it's incorrect and here's why do you think that that invasion of truth is something that will end up hurting us at some point oh absolutely their, their fearfulness you know of us actually being able to speak to each other I mean, that's yes. the great thing about social media is that we can have a chat at a distance with each other. It's a wonderful thing, and they're fearful of what we'll say. For God's sake, shake your head, wake up to yourself, Zuckerberg. Um, <laughs> they're fear and also, the, the, what I deal with, uh, you know, uh, is things like Witness K or Julian's Matter, Witness K, Bernard Colery and uh, David McBride. They're, they're my concerns after. And the secrecy, so I mean, that uh, Bernard Colery can't even speak about what he's tried with, you know. Um, so they're my concerns, the oppression of 
journalism, the oppression of news, because we just don't know what's going on. The same with uh, discussions about um, uh, whether the lockdowns are excessive, you know, or whether you like Pfizer or whether you like AstraZeneca or you don't like any of them. This is a, a right you have to uh, have a discussion about these principal concerns of how your body's going to be treated by medical people. This is a right. Mm. They can't say, oh, some fact checker, no, you can't speak about this today, try tomorrow. It's absurd. And, and Facebook, not, sorry, Facebook started as, uh, and we'll use Facebook as the, the, um, yeah. the pinnacle, let's say, of, of social media. It started as the meeting place of ideas. You could say anything as crazy as you want. You just go for it. And people started to travel there, and that's how they had conversations. It was the same with YouTube. When they took Donald Trump down, and they said, okay, you know, we don't agree with what you're saying, whether, it, whether that was correct or not with what he, if he incited a riot, whatever. They took him down, the most powerful person in the world, if you will. Um, they took him down and said, no, no, you are deplatformed. The same with Alex Jones and people like that who don't play ball, who don't fit the mainstream narrative, et cetera, et cetera. When they do that, when they can just say, you are locked out, it is a cyber version of what is happening to people like Julian. They are just locked out. They no longer exist and no one can has to think about them or listen to them anymore. They have disappeared from the earth. They've been cut off. They've been kicked out of the tribe. Yes. Uh, oh, from my perspective, uh, you know, the authority and stature of the President of the United States allows him to uh, introduce policy and argue for a policy. He has no power whatsoever. If somebody can just turn the switch off and say, well, I don't like that, you know, I don't yeah. like bugger off. So they reduce the quality of their own political administration and permanently reduce it. And you will see now that uh, President Biden is treated as somewhat a historic, hysterical figure, yes. you know. And, um, so they've done themselves a terrible damage and reduced the quality and stature and capacity of their own president to uh, introduce public policy and argue successfully for the implementation of that policy. It's awfully foolish. There was a point in time where the, the American president was the king of the world. And now Biden, is, every time he does something, says something, he is the laughing stock. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a very yeah. strange change. I mean, I, I believe it was, was it Lyndon Johnson who used to conduct meetings with the, with the press sitting on the toilet? Like things have changed. Like people would listen to these people regardless of what they were saying. They were the god uh, in that country and now... Biden was standing on stage the other day, holding his hands out, thinking he was holding on to a, um, a uh, some type of desk or something. And people thought no, it was the funniest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yes, I saw that. Uh, I thought I saw that, but I think it's one of those. What do you call those frames that old people have? A, a walking frame. 
Yeah, Walkie's uh, hanging on to his walking frame. Poor blood. I feel so sorry for him. I mean, you know, get out of it. Well, I know. And he was he was sharp twenty years ago. He was sharp as attacked. You know, like he he could he could have a political conversation with the best of them. And now it seems obviously he's very much past his prime. But um, John, I I I I just want to say thank you very much for your time. So I really do appreciate it. I know it's an extremely uh, busy and emotional time for you and your family. Um, what is the the best outcome uh, from this appeal? What what would you like to see happen? The well, it's it's a uh, how can we express this? What I'd like to see happen is this: that the Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales, the most powerful judge. Ian Duncan, who sits on the on the bench alongside uh, uh, Timothy Holroyd, Lord Justice Holroyd, both of them to go to say unanimously that Julian not be extradited to the United States. And the next day, the very next day, Julian and his family can be free to travel to Australia, and that facilitated by the Australian government. John, we're, we're all thinking thinking for you, mate, and, and Julian and his family, and uh, we wish you all the very best. And um, he's, got a, he's got a great dad and a fighter um, on his side there, mate. And uh, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate that. Great. Let's keep in touch, okay? Absol- absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roger. John Shipton, supporting his son, Julian Assange, live from London. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a very emotional conversation. I was very nervous to do that. I'm not very nervous doing podcasts or, or interviews, uh, but I was nervous to do that because I, I knew it really mattered. That is a man fighting for his son's life. I mean, you heard what he said at the start. It was all about, you know, this is going to take another couple of years and, and, and more months and years, and it's going to be the better part of three decades before he sees freedom. I know a lot of people think differently or have different thoughts about Julian Assange. The right didn't like him because of selling state secrets and the left didn't like him because he released the DNC emails and Hillary Clinton didn't win office. I don't know, I just get the feeling that this is a bloke who's doing what he thinks is right and releasing the truth to the public. I was concerned also about making this podcast, this interviews, because I, I wondered whether or not it would be censored by YouTube, and I hope it doesn't. I really hope it doesn't. I know I'm just some small fry, but and they, you know the US government's got bigger fish to fry, but I hope it doesn't get censored because I think that conversation right there is something that every young person old person, middle-aged person, Joe Biden, walk-and-frame motherfucker should listen to. Yeah. There's a part of that interview where he, what he said, I didn't have any... I was speechless. I was genuinely speechless. That is a very intelligent man. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Um, our podcast has moved to the Cancel Me Now channel. That uh, link is down below, or you can just uh, into YouTube. You can throw in the old Cancel Me Now. If you listen to this on Spotify, thank you very much for joining us. Make sure you share this to a friend. 
uh, that will stop it from being censored if it does. I don't know if it will, but I know some things in this sort of uh, vein of conversation sometimes they do. Ladies and gentlemen, my name's Isaac Butterfield. Have a very pleasant evening. All the very best. I'll see you very soon. Toodle au revoir. Bye-bye. Stop that. What's going on with you in the durries? Well, because I'm like not playing sport anymore. So you might as well kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking for an early grave, yeah. basically. <laughs> Your first 30 years were done and dusty. you like, fuck it. Let's, I've had, I've had let's check fun, out. Mate. When I go, I'll go. That's <laughs> right. A mate of mine's a, a homosexual fella. And he's... <laughs> what? What's that? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Just the way you said it. <laughs> No, but he's yeah. Getting, so Matt of mine's one of those homosexuals. He's, he's he's getting off the darts. Um, he's like using the nicotine patches. Yeah, down to two butts a day. Oh wow, two butts. <laughs> <laughs> 